apart from that, the thing is that you, one just needs to kind of make it up, you know, in a sense, there's a kind of like, oh, well, I need to be able, well, I've got to earn some money, Craig, so I better just do this then, or I better mm-hmm. do that. I mean, so there's less kind of conscious choosing, but in that there's a, there's a kind of freedom and a capacity to, to be okay with making it up. Welcome to the Less Trodden Path podcast, a dedication to untangling the world in a raw and honest way following your gut and your dreams, no matter what they may be. Often they are different to what is known as the norm, a step out of the comfort zone, the path less tread. We are here to help inspire you to take your own path by sharing both our own journey and the stories of others too, making it clear along the way that anyone can do it, whatever it may be. With all the ups and downs, the good, the bad, the pretty, the ugly included. Dreams take time, but if you put your all into it, time doesn't mean anything. This week we speak with Sam. He is a multimodal dance movement psychotherapist who is not just highly qualified in academia, but also highly experienced in life. Sam shares his journey from becoming a dad at just 18 all the way through to his current 50th year where, despite having the family, the business and everything else to name on the list, still has so much desire to achieve and share. He talks us through his handmade life and how embracing the mess that comes with being a creative soul can lead to extraordinary experiences that might even be the secret maintaining a full head of hair. Sam is inspiring and powerful and someone everyone can learn from. Here is Sam's very own Les Trodden Path. Throw it at us. Um, how, because we were looking up on your websites um, over the last few days just to kind of get to know a little bit more. And we've seen like a huge list of things that you kind of offer and do and and it just is so interesting. So like, how did you get here from wherever you want to start? Kind of, obviously, we're called the less trodden path in the sense yeah. of like, you know, it's your own path, right? No one else has your path and you've done some awesome things. You've probably done some crazy things. There's probably been some highs as well as lows. You obviously yeah. have your own business and there's been ups yeah. and downs there. Like, you know, this is almost an inspiration for anyone and everyone who kind of wants to follow their own path. But as a reminder yeah. that it really is, it's an awesome path but it's not a straight path and there's no destination. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it all, yeah. Well, in, in one sense, I suppose my, my, my adult path started when I became a, a dad at the age of 18. So if anyone wants any advice, if you, <laughs> <laughs> what really to do or not to do is become a, become a parent at the age mm-hmm. of, of 18. Wow. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. So, so I, I have a, a a beautiful son who's now thirty. Um, he's six foot four, and wow. and wow. and I would like to think is at least as challenging as I was or am yeah. <laughs> to me. Uh, I yeah, and what what to say? I guess well, in one sense, I mean, obviously, 
I was going to say that my 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 story, you know, begins like like with the speech at my second marriage, which was which was which was absolutely terrible. Where I I kind of stood up and I hadn't thought about what I wanted to say, and then I said something like, "I'd really like to thank my mum and my dad." Um, and I'd like to thank my mum for giving birth to me, at which point, like, all the <laughs> wedding guests in the audience <laughs> just kind of went into a, into a dumb silence, you know, where before everyone was just mm-hmm. drinking champagne and thinking about wedding cake. And, um, uh, but really, in a, in a sense, it kind of, yeah, it does start, I guess, with with having th- had three main loves of my life, the first one being uh, being Dion's mum, Jemima, um, having met in school. Um, that's a very bizarre story um, because I walked into this uh, classroom at the age of uh, 13, having just switched schools from a what I found to be a terrible secondary school yeah, just in Glastonbury, uh, where I grew up, wow. and um, we just, I just, we, my brother and I would move to another school partly because my brother came home one day covered in blood, literally, oh, and um, wow. the school were just not looking after us. So basically, uh, I, I arrive in this classroom and I and I and I'm there with my acrylic jumper on, you know, and a very unfashionable haircut. And, and I see this, this girl in the class who I recognize from a dream that I've had um, a couple of years earlier. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, and I think to myself, oh, my God, she's an angel. Um, a, a therapist a few years ago said, well, she wasn't really just an angel, was she? She was also a bit of a devil. As, you know, there was <laughs> certainly wasn't an angelic experience <laughs> for not either of us being married, being together for, for 10 years as we yeah. were. Um, but so so what and, and the, the backstory to that is that um is that at Glastonbury Festival I was 10 or 11 years old and I walked past her while she was having her photograph taken and I then had a dream about her that night mm-hmm. and I dreamt to myself I fell in love with her in my dream i mean i don't know what i was smoking i mean it was glastonbury festival and i was probably too young but then probably many people were mm-hmm. uh, but anyway um i discovered um so i so i walked into this classroom and there she was the the, the girl from my dream you know and i and i was i was even convinced that she might even have like wings you know i was like <laughs> I, don't know what, I don't know what i was on <laughs> anyway i was having a I was having a psychedelic childhood uh and uh and and then and then we 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 somehow got together you know at school mm-hmm. that's a, another funny story how we got together but anyway uh dion came out and he was a boy you know mm-hmm. and that was this was like this was this was crazy and, and I hadn't even told anyone my dream at this point mm-hmm. and I thought but then when he came out and he was a boy I was like well this is quite something and then and then we um we were um looking through family photo albums at her mum's house and we found a photograph of her and her sister with me walking past no in the background wow. at the wow. age of like 10 or something, you know, and, 
And so it really had happened that somehow yeah. I'd seen her, had this fantasy, had a dream. And then, so but anyway, then we separated. Mm-hmm. And, um, wow. and that was, um, yeah, that was crushing for me. Well, partly because, well, obviously my dream wasn't going to come true then, was it? You know, that I was supposed to have a boy and then a girl with this woman who, yeah, yeah, yeah. who I definitely found out at that point wasn't an angel. <laughs> and then what happened was... Uh, we got back together again and we had a girl who is wow. Olivia, my second oh, child. Sweet. Oh, uh, now, obviously, we, we grew apart. You know, people who often be people who some people get together really young and they manage to grow together in a mm-hmm. sense, you know, like and they give each other enough light and shade to make everything work. Mm-hmm. Um, other people just kind of go <laughs> like yeah. that. And, yeah. and so so while we while we were good at school together, um, and um, we, 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 we supported each other through challenging times. Mm-hmm. We, um, yeah, we were just very different people mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. When, when we separated, when the kids were, um, were, well, when we finally separated, when the kids were about eight, nine, mm-hmm. ten, okay. that mm-hmm. kind of age. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So that's a, so that's a, that's an unusual story, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, Most, I mean, it's. Me. Most relationships don't quite begin like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's also crazy when you say about the photo and it just makes you think like, how many other photos are you in that you'll never know about? <laughs> yeah. You know, like yeah. when you think about it, like even just looking at photos that you have around your house and, you know, you perhaps see someone in the background and it's just like, who is that person? and Why are they in my photo? And like, who else's house am I in, <laughs> in around the world that I'll never know about yeah just it's it's fascinating but yeah just a little off topic there (laughs) (laughs) just made me think of it (laughs) well you know i mean it's that seven degrees of separation thing isn't it and if we really understood how much of a human family we are there's no Mm -hmm. way we would be able to behave towards Mm -hmm. each other Mm -hmm. in the kinds of ways that we do and you know so yeah so, so i guess having kids really young it really well it shook my world didn't it Mm -hmm. you know I couldn't just carry on being a kind of middle class you know hippie studenty person Mm -hmm. I had to go out and work and Mm -hmm. and I discovered what it was like to be on a on a building site and a demolition site and to become a tree surgeon and to Mm -hmm. you know do all the do all the other things that I needed to do to try and support a couple of kids as much as possible mm-hmm. and then I studied at night school so I got my A-levels at night school and then we all went to London okay. uh, so that was uh, to myself uh, Jemima my first wife and Dion and Olivia and I, I managed to somehow get into UCL uh, which to study philosophy uh, Wow, yeah, which cool. which I just you know absolutely loved, but it was exhausting as well with two two small kids. Yeah, definitely. But, yeah, definitely. A bit different to the some of the other students that were probably around you. Yeah, yeah, they were. <laughs> yeah, there were there were kind of sit-ins happening at that point. Like you know, looking at student politics now is very kind of tame. But yeah, so my contemporaries had 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 taken over the whole finance department of UCL and they, you know, they just weren't letting anyone else in there. And I really wanted to join in, but I'd, I'd kind of like 
you know, stand and watch from the outside a bit and think, well, the thing is, that's all right for you all to do that. But mm. I've got like two small kids at home and a wife who's going to be really pissed off if I don't come home. Yeah. How old <laughs> and, were you, you know, at this eh? How old were you at this time? Uh, 20, I was like 21, about 21. Oh, wow, that's crazy. That's young. Yeah, yeah. That's very young. But, wow. That's, yeah, so what did you kind of, because is the, did you like finish that qualification that you did at university then? Or is that a part of what you do now? Or did you kind of go down a different route? Um, yeah, well, I, well, I kind of still went on the same route. I mean, I think because well, I was really I was drawn to to this idea of a, of the less trodden path or that 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 sense. So, what I like to call it is a handmade life, which comes mm-hmm. from the work of Clarissa Pinkola Estes, who wrote uh, that wonderful book, Women Who Run with Wolves. I mean, it could be anyone, you know, now in less gender defined yeah. ways, you know, mm-hmm. times. It could be could be anyone who. Who, who who just does their thing? So I had this idea that that if I if I really felt strongly that I needed to do something, then I would try and find a way to do it. Mm-hmm. And um, and I was inspired by a sculptor who I was working for as a life model who'd studied at UCL, and he said to me, "Look, you know, you're too you're really bored working on building sites and stuff. You need to get back to school." And I'd say, "Oh no, I can't do that." You know. It's, I'm knackered when I get home and so on. And, you know, and he was like, no, no, come on, you've got to do this. And maybe, you know, why don't you try out UCL? You know, that would be good for you. And I was like, no, no, that's not going to work. Um, but he he talked me into it. And I I then just studied what I wanted to study, which, yeah, was political philosophy and European politics and German literature. So I'd grown up bilingual. Yeah. And, um, and I thought, well, the German would be an easy option. And um, the other stuff might be hard. Um, I tried to take a unit in statistics and in the first two hours realized that I would utterly fail if I stayed in that lecture hall. So I left (laughs) and changed. I was like, no, 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 don't let me do that. Mm -hmm. Then I tried to take uh, uh, a whole unit in Shakespeare because I thought I tried to talk my lecturer who was trying to guide me through the course. into letting me do Shakespeare because there's loads of philosophy in Shakespeare and it's all about politics and you know and she was like okay well you can go to the English department if you want but I'm going to kick you off my course and so I said okay no 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 I don't want to I don't want to do that and um so it was a bit of (laughs) a bit of kind of trying to follow the winding path of my heart Mm -hmm. and and just doing it because I felt passionate about it yeah it's one of the reasons I feel so sad about the idea of the government mandating, you know, reducing kind of creative arts mm-hmm. um, degrees. I was just reading that they're cutting history in two more, you know, English universities. I think it's a terrible idea. You know, you, we, we don't want to all end up being scientists. We need yes. scientists, but, yeah. we, you know, even scientists mm-hmm. don't want everybody to mm-hmm. be a scientist. So. And everyone's not made for it, right? Like, each for their own. You should just be wise, like everyone should just be allowed to just do what they're made for, right? Well, yeah, exactly. And I, so I had this like latter part of my education at a Steiner school and, and I went on to work in, in, um, in a couple of different Steiner inspired 
places. I was I was a, a manager and a, a skills trainer in emotional literacy and and stuff at, at a at a large um, Steiner based college, uh, as as well as working for a, a small kind of Steiner based um, school for a number of years. And and there it really seemed to me that the main thing about about Steiner's insights and you know he was a clairvoyant so this is already fairly far out there but remarkable author and and thinker was that the society of tomorrow needs the people of today to become who they can be inside themselves Mm -hmm. in order for renewal to happen Mm -hmm. so it's like it's really important that we allow each other and support each other to discover what we're passionate Mm -hmm. about Mm -hmm. because that will enable uh, evolution to take place mm-hmm. without it you know we'll we'll go in more and more into fragmentation and of course we're in a time when um there's something that, that obviously I think about as a, as a psychotherapist as a creative arts psychotherapist we're in a time of environmental breakdown which means that we we really need the people of of tomorrow to discover mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. what their passions are today so that they can give the world mm-hmm. what it needs um mm-hmm rather than what the old world thought mm-hmm. um, it yeah. needed. No. Yeah. It's very easy to get, I think, humans as a, as a, in, in general get very caught up in the idea that the way they know things to be should be how it is and that people forget that in, throughout the entire history of everything, it's always changing. It's never, it's never stationary. Life never stops in one place. And a model that was yesterday isn't necessarily going to be the model tomorrow. And I think that it's very easy for people to get lost in the idea that the way they know the world to be is the way it will remain, as opposed to it's always going to change. And yeah. I guess, like you say, I mean, witnessing how, like from, from your perspective, like how how do you see it evolving? How do you, do you have a, you know... In, in uh, someone in your position, I guess. Uh-huh. Well, I, the get, I guess a, a way that I, I see it evolving, I really, I like the work of Joanna Macy, who's, um, who, who's a, a kind of remarkable, I think she's about 90 now. And if you ever get to listen to one of her pod, the podcasts on her or, or, or read any of her stuff, she, she's just incredible. And she talks about this kind of, um, a kind of a great turning in a sense, mm-hmm. and that we, that, that the way that human beings evolve is by edging it. <laughs> you know, we get to the, we get, we kind of, and, that, and that's just the way it is. And we may or may not fall off, you know, mm-hmm. we just don't know. But what we, but we really need to know where we are. We need to know that we're on the edge of a precipice mm-hmm. and that some of us are falling off already. And we need to kind of, and we have the capacity for, um, we have the capacity for transformation and transformation i think is particularly linked to creativity yeah um, because creativity comes in a sense from the inside out mm-hmm. um in terms of in terms of our human responses you know if we think of um uh well in all, all kinds of areas including trauma which i'm interested in mm-hmm. and and in in general kind of development and growth you know you don't need to tell your teeth to to grow you you know they they just do it you know you don't need to yeah so 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 there's like a 
so creativity is really interesting. Like, what is it? Well, we know that creativity is kind of messy. Um, so we need to let go of control in order for creativity to happen. But letting go of control is scary. So we create schemas and maps. And, you know, even great thinkers kind of create schemas and maps for other people so that they can reduce their anxiety. <laughs> but as Krishnamurti said, you know, many years ago, and I was fortunate enough to meet him when I was a kid um, at Brockworth Park, he said, you know, you have to find it inside yourself again. You have to, we have to find our creative source. In a sense, we have to long for it enough in order to, uh, to be able to let go of other people's maps for us. Um, of course, he was, he was trying to get out of his own map um, of that of being a guru, and he never kind of managed, didn't quite manage to do that, regardless of how strongly he he tried he was he was kind of mapped in and the, so there's this kind of combination of of mapping and structure and creativity and obviously when we're too anxious we need more structure mm -hmm. and when we're feeling really fun and free then we need more creativity mm -hmm. and we need i guess people to guide us on that on that journey who mm -hmm. know that the maps they give are never going to be good enough because we're evolving into something new because the the world, the universe itself, of course, is a, is on a creative journey. Yeah. yeah. Um, like you said, you know, we don't know what tomorrow will be, and we don't know who who tomorrow will need, in a sense. But we do know that we're part of that. So mm -hmm. if we can connect to our own inner creativity, draw maps that give us an indication, a sense of safety, um, and and a sense of the general direction. Then, then we need to be free within that, and that means being creative, and that means being messy, mm -hmm. um, and uh, th those are things that I like. Yeah, that's cool. I agree. I think it's a. I think it's really important. It's an important message. I think the importance of creativity itself, something that I'm always banging on about. Mm -hmm. I think that like, it's too. It's too in a box, in a sense. A lot of people think that creativity is something you either have or you don't. And I don't necessarily agree with that. I think everyone's creative. It's just about, sort of, like you said, finding a way to awaken it within you and then running with it when you feel it. Um, yeah, no, that's fascinating. Um, so where did you go from this sort of degree life with kids and trying to figure how did you navigate your own i don't know journey in in that sense from where yeah we yeah well uh well i was offered a, a part-time teaching post and an ma at the university and i turned it down and went <laughs> went to work in a in a plant and tree nursery in wow. the countryside awesome. <laughs> and uh yeah that was a relief oh it was so lovely <laughs> just to be in, in nature. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, uh, and yeah, and my wife wasn't well at the time and it was a kind of like a rescue decision, really. It was mm -hmm. like, I have to rescue us. You know, we're, as a family, we're not doing well. And that was really, that was the right decision to make. I think it was mm -hmm. difficult for me to let go of philosophy and stuff like that. But, mm -hmm. but on the other hand, I also really needed to get into my body. And one of the first things I did then, as well as working in this nursery, was I went back to the to the sculptor who I used who I'd been working for, and I and we we did like a body painting 
um, exploration and basically turned me into a kind of wodish kind of warrior type being. There was quite a lot of blue involved and and it felt like a like in a sense of kind of taking off that whole academic like mm-hmm. thing and that intellectual over intellectualization and and just kind of letting go of that and just being a body again and and mm-hmm. coming back to nature and in a sense I suppose coming back full circle to to doing kind of building work and landscaping but but in a slightly nicer kind of way mm-hmm. and then from that I then went into special um, I went into working in in special needs education. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started training as a reflexologist and I then got really into that. So I was just doing that pretty much full time, which was quite hard in a small town. So I never had any money, but, but I was very, uh, I was very, uh, determined, stubborn, <laughs> ambitious. And, uh, so that included training other people to be reflexologists and doing like postgraduate courses for for, for people in 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 reflexology which I was then doing a body reflexology because I my mind was constantly like oh well hold on a minute it's not just about the feet is it it's also about the hands and the face and then the ears and then and then well the whole of the body actually is a is a is a is a communicative mm-hmm. relational thing and yeah. so there was something about coming back into my body again, I suppose, from having been kind of educated up to here, mm-hmm. to one tiny corner of my brain. <laughs> I had to, I had to like find my way back mm-hmm. down and in. So that was that. How long were you at the um, nursery for? Was it the nursery that you, it's called? The garden? Yeah, I think I was only there the for a, uh, about nine months or okay. so or a year until I got really bored. Yeah. And was that like a um like a, a bit of like a community, for example? So like you go there and you just was it like a paid work or was it? It, it was a paid yeah, yeah, it was just a it was just a, fr- a friend a friend of mine at the time, he's um he's really, really obsessed by trees mm-hmm. and uh he needed someone to help him in his nursery. Okay. So, cool. Nice. And then, so how? So you said you were there for like nine months, and then up until you kind of did this reflexology and stuff, you know, how long roughly did that kind of take to, you know, develop? Because assuming you were when you first kind of started this, you were eighteen, and then twenty-one, and then, you know, is this like a year later or? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So twenty-one. Yeah. So I was twenty-four when I finished my degree. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. So that was in 1999. Yeah. Um, that's just not my strong point. So, <laughs> yeah, so, so about then. Somewhere around then. <laughs> and then it was, well, then after a number of months at the nursery, I then, I, I then went into the special needs education, which then, um, and, and at the same time, I studied in the reflexology. Okay. And I then became... I then became a kind of the main carer for my two kids, um, Dion and, and Libby, for for a couple of years. So like one year on my own, pretty much. And then with my second wife, kind of on the scene for the next year. Um, and then and then I was still the main carer. But then my second wife and I by then were living together because we had another child. Um, so at that point, I had a... a kind of a stepdaughter and my two kids who I was looking after. And then my second wife became pregnant. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, 
mm-hmm. and then she became ill uh, and then I had like f- lots of children to look after and I was being a kind of part-time reflexologist and mm-hmm. and teaching that and so on so it was very messy yeah yeah <laughs> I mean messy. I couldn't even imagine having one kid let alone so many let as well as trying to figure you know you're still pretty young right so still trying to figure kind of yeah yourself so, out and yeah. what not even not even necessarily work-wise but just in general in life kind of you know what you wanted to do still just trying to figure things out um as a whole and it just sounds it sounds incredible but also a little bit hectic but not necessarily in a bad way if that even makes sense <laughs> yeah yeah there were yeah, it was, it was, it, yeah, I mean, it was just very interesting. And I guess that one of the things about not having a kind of salaried mm. career in a sense, although I did have a salaried career for seven years as a, as a manager and, and trainer in a sense, mm-hmm. uh, the, apart from that, the thing is that you, one just needs to kind of make it up, you know, in a sense, mm-hmm. there's a kind of like, oh, well, I need to be able, well, I've got to earn some money, Craig, so I better just do this then, or mm-hmm. I better do that. I mean, so there's less kind of conscious choosing, but in that there's a there's a kind of freedom and a capacity to to be okay with making it up. That my dad always said, "Oh God, I don't know how you even how do you even do that?" Like I would be terrified, you know. Mm-hmm. Even though he was a very well qualified, you know, uh, architect, he could have struck out on his own, but he was always too scared to do that. Yeah, and mm-hmm. um, and I guess. And I guess that goes back to the early childhood dream, doesn't it? That in a sense, I was following my my dream. My mum was a psychotherapist and she was always banging on about Jung and, and the importance of our dreams. And and so, you know, somehow I, <laughs> I took that really seriously mm-hmm. at, at a young age. I mean, I did... I did read the whole ring cycle at the age of 11 or 12. So I was, I was an unusual kid, you know, I, mm-hmm. I and I... And I guess it helps if we have a dream, mm-hmm. doesn't it? Like my dream was to have those two kids. So when I when I was faced with the reality of having two kids and then and then even looking at me being the main carer for a bit and then handing them back again and 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 on the struggles that that being 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 an underdeveloped parent, you know, and, mm-hmm. and the struggles of that and the and the loveliness, the the, the beauty of it was kind of like, well, I kind of dreamt it. So mm-hmm. it was still important to me, you know, on yeah. some level or other, even when I was in the middle of the, in, in the, in the middle of the compost heap of, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, go on. No, 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 you, no go. you go. You go. You got questions. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, like, obviously you now have your own business, right? So when did that kind of come about? How long did that take to actually, you know, when did that kind of kick off? How old were you and how long did it take yeah, yeah. to set up, but also to get out into the world? Because again, it doesn't just happen in a click. So how did that kind of come no, about? Right. Well, funnily enough, it kind of did happen in a, <laughs> it did happen very easily. But probably because I'd already had my own business a number of different mm-hmm. times. So I'd already had a, I had a tree surgery and landscaping business, but I had a very kind of Marxist view of of employees, which didn't 
wasn't very useful really so I'd, I'd always try and split my fees halfway down the middle <laughs> so whoever was working for me would get half of what I earned which wasn't a very good idea so that was like the first business in a sense the second business I had was the the body work and healing business so I also did a spiritual healing diploma somewhere in the middle there in my 20s and so I was so I brought that in and and the and and that business was more successful. Well, I found it more sustainable in, than the tree surgery stuff because the tree surgery stuff, you just look at old guys who've been doing it too long and think, oh, no, that's not, it's not what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I'd already had that business and then the other business. And then the, the, my current business of providing creative arts psychotherapy to, to schools and care homes in Bristol just came about because someone said, um, have you got, any more time for us? And I said, and I said, no, uh, sorry, I've, I'm, I'm full up, but, but I can find another, I'll find another therapist for you if you like, and I'll, and I'll manage them. And so I guess it was a combination of having had that management experience for those seven years and, and that little career. And then, and then also just being willing to give it a go and having given it a go a couple of times before. Um, and so that's a, yeah, it's useful. I mean, there's something really, what I find, what really intrigues me at the moment, and I just delivered a training to a school around this, is Carol Dweck's work on a growth mindset. So in a sense, you know, we can have a process orientation, is one way of looking at it, or we can have an entity orientation. So a kind of process orientation is that it's that that you and I, you know, the three of us together in this conversation are are more important than the end product. Like Mm -hmm. we are important to each other right now. And if we lose each other, then we've lost something. Mm -hmm. So that's a process orientation. Uh, An entity orientation would be, well, we, you know, as long as I sound good on this podcast, I don't care. Or or you might think to yourselves, well, as long as it, as long as people like it, then we don't care whether Mm -hmm. or not our relationship is working Mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. And, and that that kind of process, so that's an entity and a kind of fixed a fixed way of looking at things and a kind of outcome based way of looking at things. And that um, that's that's really problematic because because if we if we don't if we stray away from the present too much and if we stray away from the idea that everything's changing all the time and if we stray away from the idea that we have to fail repeatedly in life in order to to discover you know in a sense that's what life is about isn't it it's Mm -hmm. repeated hopefully fairly small failures rather than catastrophic (laughs) failures but the more we make small failures the less catastrophic failures we make Mm -hmm. in a sense the more failure averse we are you know see this with nuclear accidents for example you know they got so many things in place they're almost they don't really kind of um yeah anyway it creates more risk so there's this Mm -hmm. there's this interesting thing about about having a a growth mindset and I think when going to university I started getting a kind of entity mindset mm-hmm. and I thought to myself okay well I'm a I'm a first class like distinction student and then I read Dweck and I was like wow that's a terrible idea mm-hmm. you know it'd be much better if if I hadn't have done so well <laughs> and <laughs> and I really I used that in my MA which I also you know got a distinction in and I think partly because I was just constantly letting go of the idea of getting it, you know, trying to get it too right and yeah, trying to not yeah. get it wrong. And I was like, OK, I'm just going to learn again. You know, even in my 40s, uh, uh, when I when I did my when I 
was in my MA was like, okay, I've just got to, got to, just got to go back to that sense of just being growth oriented and failure positive. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. It's sort of like a, you, you've sort of like coined the whole journey over destination and then also start before you feel ready almost be don't be afraid of the failure just just go and act and then and then if you fail so what it's cool that's the growth and then fail again that's a growth which i think is like a message that for for doing anything in life is important because you're bound to fail at some point so there's no point not doing it until you know because you're afraid of the failure um, yeah and you know, and, and, and an interesting thing happened, you know, last year, like my business lost £20,000 worth of work within like two months mm-hmm. or something. And and then, and I was like, oh shit, like what happens now? <laughs> but what was really interesting was I, I gave a huge amount of focus to looking after those therapists. Mm-hmm. And like just that they were the more important thing, you know, and and what was then really embarrassing was that the same, you know, the, the work in a sense that that I'd lost for some of my therapists, I was given even more work, which then I thought to myself, oh, Christ, do I take that on? And I was really honest with the therapist. I said, look, I've been offered more work. You've been just been made mm-hmm. redundant, you know, by by, by um, some uh, provision. And, and but they've offered me more work. And, and I thought, OK, well, I'm just going to be really honest with them and I'm going to just put it on the line and say that I think it's better for all of us if I take on this extra work. Mm-hmm. And what's happened now is, you know, a service level agreement coming through for September for one of those therapists who, who lost work, she's coming back in again. Mm-hmm. And so that was, seemed really important, even though it was a struggle for me, it was like, okay, I'm just going to maintain the relationships and be present with everybody mm-hmm. and not go into like a thing of like, Oh, they're no good. Or, 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 oh, I'm going to, oh, I've got to kind of keep my cards close here. Yeah, you know, yeah. I can't tell my, my, the people I was, who were working for me, what's really going on. You know, instead yeah. it was like complete transparency, nice. be there in the discomfort earlier, mm-hmm. you know, and, and stay in the discomfort longer in a sense. And then, and then things, if they're meant to be, will come back round again. Yeah. yeah. And that, and that, that seems to be what's happening. So it's this kind of, it's it's like yeah not going for kind of end state stuff and not going into either or stuff either mm-hmm. you know so it is also about being aware when we're making kind of judgments you know kind of having a judgmental mind in a sense and going okay well i've got a judgmental mind about this can i drop back into my heart and just mm-hmm. and be with these different possibilities and then know that my heart will direct me somehow toward what is already unfolding, mm-hmm. you know, going back to the idea of, of the world asking of human beings that they unfold, you know, that mm-hmm. we unfold with the world, yeah. uh, with, with the creative force that we're, that we're part of. Wow. Yeah, that's really cool. When, um, so, I mean, you're, you're through your story, you're, you're obviously quite like intuitive in, in a sense. You sort of, when did you kind of, I guess like dive deeper into like yourself in a spiritual sense so you could kind of because like you said it's like messy and I think that it's hard I mean like you say creativity is messy and anyone that's focused on a creative pursuit or is creative themselves 
find, can find themselves in a mess, right? Like life can find, can become messy. So like, how do you, how did you and how do you kind of navigate that mess and, and keep your mind like, okay, sort of, or like, you know, do you have spiritual practices? Do you, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Meditate? Do you have an exercise you do? Do you, like, what's your... I do. Yeah, I mean, I really struggled with, with meditation. And, and I also had an amazing Tai Chi teacher during my degree, but I just couldn't, like, he was he was the real thing. Like, he's, <laughs> he was Chinese, and he was, yeah. like, really good. But I was just so bored <laughs> doing Tai Chi. I just couldn't do it. Um and meditation, I would continually try from a young age, you know, because I lived in a in a in a healing community. I, mm-hmm. So, so there was meditation all going on, and we were, my brother and I were often trying to meditate and <laughs> and failing, <laughs> but could do it for about thirty seconds or a minute or something. Um, what I guess, and I, but but now what that's turned into is a meditation practice, toddler allowing, that's like that's like three or four times a week, I'll meditate for about half an hour mm-hmm. up to three quarters of an hour. Um, when I'm not meditating, I'm out climbing trees, uh, dancing with mm-hmm. trees, um, being in the park, yeah, going yeah. running and doing kind of primal movement stuff. So my partner, Lioba, is a yoga teacher. And, um, and, and so we're both really into kind of, we're, we're into movement. Um, and particularly, well, me having trained as a as a dance movement psychotherapist—that's mm-hmm. that's the title of my my MA. Um, and and my main practice during that, you know, when you're training as a as a creative arts therapist, you have to have a practice that's supporting your mm-hmm. your training. So I had to have a dance practice that was supporting my training, and and that practice is contact improvisation. Okay. That's been seriously difficult in the last year or so. <laughs> but um, but I just went out and did contact improvisation in nature even more. Um, and and also, I because about seven years ago, I started writing a book called The Antidote, which is, um, mm-hmm. which is about connecting through, so meditation with trees and nature and mycelial networks. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and so I would say that my, yeah, my practice is a combination of kind of active and passive, mm-hmm. you know, kind of a yang and yin kind of a mm-hmm. thing where, where if I meditate one day, go out and climb trees and, and like be silly around yeah, yeah. them um, the next day and kind of to try yeah, and, yeah, yeah to, to do that. Yeah, that's um, so that's one of my practices. The other one is riding a motorbike. I, I love it. Uh, <laughs> I, I can find more environmental things to do. It's, <laughs> it, you know, and electric ones, I, mean, I don't know how environmental really electricity is in general, but anyway, uh-huh. um, electric ones are really expensive. But there's something about a motorbike. It, if, if we lose concentration with the whole of the mm-hmm. body, we fall off. Yeah, yeah. And it, So I, I love that as a presence technique. You know, uh-huh. it's... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gotta be there. That's very yeah. That's... And po- poetry as well. I, I've, you know, I, I had my first book of poetry published when I was forty. Um, the publisher has since died, which was a tragedy. Oh. He died young of of cancer, but he was um, really interesting 
guy called Jay, uh, Jay Ramsey who'd written lots of books and and uh, so we we were involved in a performance poetry troupe together uh-huh. That's cool. <laughs> and uh, and another thing I guess was the what really brought me to trees well what brought me back to trees in a healing sense because I'd been a tree surgeon was um discovering didgeridoos and <laughs> I I taught myself how to play the didgeridoo. I then went and did a lot of busking with the didgeridoo, which was great for, yeah, great for me getting out of my own way. You know, that ego thing of like, oh, you can't possibly just go and sit on the side of the road and busk. You know, what would people think? You know, and so I did a lot of busking and then taught people to play the didge. Um, So that was another little career I forgot to mention. (laughs) And and, uh, the, the didgeridoo is... I think remarkable both for the way it alters brainwave states mm-hmm. and also how it really gets us in touch with breath. And I had quite a bit of trauma when I was a kid because my parents separated when I was young and it was quite, it was quite nasty um, between them. So my dad moved a very long way away and that was um, a kind of attachment trauma for me. Mm-hmm. And so I find that I'll hold my breath or, or I'll try and kind of, get all my words out at once and yeah, not really yeah. let myself Don't take a breath um, in kind of be, be in that rhythm and the, mm-hmm. the didge really help, helped a lot with that as a practice for many years i'd say now it's more into the kind of i'm more into playing the the hum the the indian uh the harmonica mm-hmm. no, sorry well yeah i'm learning the harmonica but the harmonium oh, awesome. uh, so my partner and i have a practice of playing the harmonium, but the, the toddler has um, <laughs> has put pay yeah, to that well, for a bit. It would. That's really cool. I mean, I'm a musician, and like aside from the podcast, I'm I'm trying to collaborate with more and more people at the moment, um, writing songs. So maybe maybe we should talk, and we could get some didgeridoo on a song. <laughs> yeah. That would be really cool. That, that would be, be really really cool. Yeah, um, it's really nice to have a the didge works on that. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's really good. I've done a bit of um, session work for people with the yeah, digits. Awesome. It's nice to get a bit of that in there. Yeah. Yeah. I've had a go at playing it a few times. It's um, you don't play it how you'd think you'd play it. Like in 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 my mind, you just sort of blew down it, and you have to do all sorts yeah. of lip movements and circular breathing, and yeah, bit of an interesting one, eh? But cool. Yeah. Dead yeah. Cool. Well, like because I. In a sense, it's interesting, isn't it? Because in, in life, like, we have areas where we're just kind of pretty hopeless in, or at least I do, you know. Uh, so so one of them in the... I'd, I'd like to say in the past is, is, like, being able to be in a long-term relationship with someone. You know, that's, that's my current passion or goal, in a sense, is to... Is, is can this relationship I'm currently in, you know, can it just really last like right the way through our, mm-hmm. our, our toddler's upbringing? I would love that because yeah. that would have totally reversed my childhood pattern mm-hmm. in a sense, you know, mm-hmm. and, but patterns are really difficult. So we're kind of butting up against, against our unconscious and against stuff that's just, ah, you know, yeah, it's yeah. Like, ah! Um, but it is, but it is possible to, to find some way in, you know, and I was hopeless at reading music. Mm-hmm. Um, although a friend of mine actually just taught me how to read music, I think in about 10 minutes, and I think I can still kind of remember it, yeah. which is which is down to his amazing kind of yeah. you know, well, musicianship. Crack the code. If you, they can crack, if you can crack the code, 
But I think there was something about the didgeridoo where you don't have to read music. No. It's like, so I can play music without having to read. I thought, oh, well, I won't be able to play music because I can't read the music because I'm a bit dyslexic and mm -hmm. a bit a bit numeralexic as well, as I, as I suggested. And it's like, yeah. I think that's so a like, great sense. Yeah, we can find ways mm -hmm. of... Yeah. I was going to say that, probably what you're about to say, like, that's a great sentiment for, like, if you want to do something, you can find a way of doing it. Like you say, you want to play music, but you don't feel like you can read it or formally play, you know, something that requires a lot of, you know, something, something an instrument that would require you to be able to read and, and you can pick up something like the didgeridoo and, and you're a musician, you're you're there. That's Yeah. Well, that's and, really you know, one of the, the thoughts I I have is, like, is we ah? Uh, it's really important not to give each other advice that um, that's based on on not knowing what that person is going through or mm -hmm. or what they really need from us or from their own life and and in fact giving advice in general is very tricky, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's like because everybody has in a sense a different life even though there are similarities mm -hmm. we don't know what what each of us are going through mm -hmm. um although there are some things that we that, that are just good things you know that that have that's a weird word goodness isn't it but mm -hmm. it, it seems to be coming up for me that there is such a thing as goodness we know and perhaps there's something about then being in the present again mm -hmm. that's really important to that um but do you know, um, just just to sidetrack a moment, um, my daughter Olivia gave me a really good lesson in presence when she was about seven years old and she had this tiny little skirt on and she was sitting next to me in, in this beetle that I was driving around and I was driving too fast because I was late and I was always late for everything. I was born late, you know, <laughs> two and a half weeks late or something. And, and she just kind of said to me, Dad, you know you're late and she was like uh, and I said yeah I said well dad but if the only thing that exists is the present then you can't be late and I and I was like I almost stopped the car you know because she's only you know little uh -huh. and um and it, it, it yeah so there, there, there's something really yeah That's really awesome. Im important I important there um I think what I was trying to to say was to loop back on something that I thought about earlier on, which is like being 50 this year and like having more wisdom, I suppose, than I had when I was 18, when I mm -hmm. first became a dad. Um, I still feel that I don't really have that much wisdom and that most of what I say now might have changed by the time I'm 70 mm -hmm. or even 90, hopefully. Mm -hmm. You know that there's something about the wisdom of of us as we grow older that is irreplaceable, and that's why we one of the reasons we really need to care for the people who are older and care for them not in the sense of their monetary value, you know, which seems to be a lot of the conversation around, but really care for them to bring their wisdom back in mm -hmm. to to our culture, and that's something. That I maybe it's just because I don't want to end up in an old people's home, you know. <laughs> That's, I mean, yeah, it's a good. It's it's nice to hear. I think, uh, as a, you know, when when you're younger, that 
it's almost like the more the older you get it doesn't necessarily change you know when you're young when you're really young when you're a kid you look at adults and you think well they've got everything sorted they know they know everything they know the secret <laughs> and you almost grow up expecting one day I'm going to find the secret and the secret's going to come yeah. to me and I'm going to crack this code and and I think like the secret and the code is the fact that you're probably not there's no secret there isn't a crack to a code to crack that it's just there is and I guess that that kind of your your story and you, the way you've kind of told it and the way you've said, you know, the things you've said, that kind of, that, that idea. And it's, it's reassuring in a way because it's like, okay, like I'm okay then. If I don't know what I'm doing and I can't figure it out, that's okay because that seems to be the general sort of thing that everyone goes through, eh? Yeah, yeah, we do. I mean, well, just look at what just, you know, was just announced with Bill and Melinda Gates. I mean, they've just divorced. Mm -hmm. Like, Okay, so in one sense, she can be the fourth richest woman in the world or the second <laughs> richest or whatever. And he can be the, you know, go down from being the first richest to the fourth richest. I don't know, <laughs> whatever it is. But it's like, well, they don't know what the fuck's going on, yeah. then, do they? <laughs> I mean, they probably thought they had it really sorted. Didn't yeah. they? I mean, I imagine, you know, if you have everything that you could possibly want, mm -hmm. including you know, deciding to give money to charity and to mm -hmm. do all kinds of good causes and things, you, you, you'd you think that that relationship wouldn't have so much stress in it, yeah, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yet mm -hmm. there's that. And there's Jeff Bezos again. I mean, I, I, I just, I, I love and I feel sad for that story, for that relationship. But I love the story in a sense that, mm -hmm. that what we all seem to be driven to be focused on and what I'm also sometimes, focused, you know, driven to kind of earn more money and, and mm -hmm. you know, oh, well, I do have a lot of children, I suppose, um, <laughs> is is that, that those things, you know, aren't really that important, are they? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because it doesn't matter how much money you have. If you've got a broken heart, you've got a yeah. broken heart. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it's like, and that's going to be really painful mm -hmm. for your children. And mm -hmm. that money's not going to save them. You know, you mm -hmm. can, of course, pay for therapy and that, that yeah, could help yeah. if they'll accept it. But it's like we're that there's something that the, an Indian mystic said, and I can't remember who it was, but she was definitely female. And she said, she said that we're all fragile. It's like, we never, we, we never lose our fragility, you know, and that's something that's so important. And it's also spoken to by Brené Brown, whose, <laughs> whose work I admire, yeah. um, is that, is that that vulnerability really, we, if we can find ways of leaning into our vulnerability and, and I guess as I grow older, that means leaning into the vulnerability that comes mm -hmm. with age and maybe the wisdom that can also blossom along mm -hmm. with that vulnerability. So, so well said. Well, you don't look, you don't look like you're about to turn 50 at all. So. <laughs> right. You've look at all this, this yeah. hair. Got, it's ridiculous. I, mean, I know this is a podcast, but you would not believe how much black hair <laughs> I have for being a, a 50 year old. Absolutely. I, I put it down to a kind of Kundalini awakening, but we might have to. That might be another podcast because <laughs> I, I don't know how much time we've got left. Go for it. Go Honestly, for it. like this podcast, we did one the other day that lasted nearly two hours. Yeah, so. Maybe. <laughs> doesn't have to be that long. Yeah. Or, 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 anyone, is anyone going to listen to it? <laughs> <laughs> well, at least Liv will. That'll be one person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, the, the, the Kundalini awakening was, um, 
was really, really uh, most powerfully instigated by the didgeridoo. Oh, all right. And um, yeah, and and I've been able to replicate it with one of my students, the didge students as well. He's um, no longer a student, but but um, but he he found yeah he found a, a similar thing. So that's that's intriguing. Um, well, the the story the story of the didgeridoo thing is that I was playing the didgeridoo for about half an hour or so, which would have meant that I would be in, would have been in quite an altered state. Mm -hmm. Um, for those of you that don't play the didgeridoo, there's a sense of, um, or the one of you who's listening to this, (laughs) 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 the didgeridoo is a, there's a circular breath to it. Mm -hmm. That circular breath kind of, uh, just, just changes your physiology quite strongly Mm -hmm but actually can change it to over-breathing or even Mm under-breathing. Because if you're really playing the didgeridoo quite strongly, you can start under-breathing for the amount of energy you're putting into the Mm -hmm. didge. So who knows where that was, whether it was, um, you know, uh, more oxygen or less oxygen at that point. Um, And I then just had this vision of of like a, a silver... A spiraling thing you know one could call it a snake but it didn't have a head it was just a silver spiraling thing and it and it and it was coming up the didgeridoo towards my mouth and I was like oh shit what's that (laughs) you know like oh god you know and then and then what happened is and I just carried on playing I mean by then I'd been playing for 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 a couple of years at least and 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 so I you know, I was like, okay, well, I'll just, uh, I couldn't stop then, you know, I was mm-hmm. like, well, let's see what happens. And when it entered my mouth, it was a bit like a kind of electric shock, which then went down through my, uh, what I'd call my chakras. Um, but anyway, down through my body from my mouth, and then, then kind of straight down out of my perineum into the ground. And it was like a kind of electric feeling, a sensation mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, oh, well, that's a bit weird because, like, it's supposed to go. I thought it was supposed to go the other way, you know, mm-hmm. from the, you know, the, the, the coiled serpent in mm-hmm. in Kundalini yoga at the base of the spine. Um, but that was different, and um, and that that then kind of stayed as a loop going through my body for quite some time I think I'd played probably for another half an hour or so at that point I I was playing for about an hour at a time without stopping um and um yeah so maybe that's why my my hair is still yeah it's still good wonderful that's awesome the age-defying effects of didgeridoo playing (laughs) yeah Yeah, we should market that yeah yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. Oh wow! Wow! I think my my parents have a didgeridoo, and you're making me want to go get it and sit there and try and work out to circular breathe. Because so, oh yeah, great! Oh I, yeah yeah circular breathing. It well it's it's a misnomer really because it's it's just it's just um, blowing air out of your mouth while you breathe through breathe your nose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow! Yeah. And as long as yeah, well as long I'm... as we can do that which yeah, is fairly easy be. actually mm-hmm. Then. Mm-hmm. well i know what i'm gonna spend the rest of the week doing <laughs> sweet no that's that's really cool really really cool so are you back um 
kind of obviously now with things easing with the lockdowns and all that are you is your business back up and running are you have you got any kind of plans for it or anything else um in the near future or in perhaps you know further ahead or are you really just taking it slow and just allowing the world to just open in its own time mm. well thank you that's a that's a lovely question um for me i i'm um well i'm just finishing a supervision training to be a a a, a, a psychotherapy supervisor mm -hmm. so that's a kind of that's a milestone i suppose in my handmade career if, mm -hmm. if we could call it that um my plan i guess is to is to grow the company a little bit but i like the smallest beautiful idea because it, it's really important to me to have the, the sense of community mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and also i'm just not very good at figures so um <laughs> It's better if it's small. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, so that's a, a plan. Um, I want to try and get my book published, um, but my toddler's sleep isn't going very well. Um, so that so that keeps kind of being pushed back. I mean, I, I thought I'd finished the book two years ago. Uh, I've got, <laughs> I've got a, yeah. So I've got a. So I want to try and sort that out. That's a goal. I've then, I've then got a um a children's storybook that I wrote for my toddler, and oh, nice. I want to get that, I want to get that properly finished as mm -hmm. well. And then I started writing a an autobiography based on having grown up around Glastonbury Festival mm -hmm. or Glastonbury Festival, Glastonbury Glastonbury, Glastonbury. Uh, and I, and I'd like to carry on writing that. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Um, because that was, yeah, there were various unusual experiences uh -huh. related uh -huh. to yeah. Glastonbury. And, and and that might sell because Glastonbury is kind of generally in the news. Uh -huh. um, and then other than that, um, I think it's, there's something about about like balancing things. Mm -hmm. So I think something I'm not so good at is is just just giving just make creating time for family mm -hmm. and just being in it mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. like i'm often thinking about the next mm -hmm. thing or i said oh this could be well that could be exciting or mm -hmm. um oh i want to do a promotional video of of like tree of like tree gym kind of mm -hmm. stuff because i do this like tree gymnasium thing and i and i want to get rid of gymnasiums and have people back in trees mm -hmm. again because i think mm -hmm. we're so closely related to monkeys that there are all kinds of yeah. benefits that mm -hmm. being in trees, yeah. mm -hmm. apart, not just, not least, of course, for our, for our lungs, um, given the, the, the air quality problems that we have in, mm -hmm. in Bristol and other places. But um, yeah, so there's that as well. But, but yeah, so, so just, so having, so defining space and time for therapy, for, for, for therapy, <laughs> for family, <laughs> Freudian slip. And um and and trying to maintain those boundaries, mm -hmm. um, because and and I think that goes back to my core wounding with my parents separating is mm -hmm. that that's a struggle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's like I'm still just a bit anxious in that yeah. area. Yeah. yeah, but I I think it's going to be supportive because it will enable me to be a dad and and to be a to be a um, 
to to neither be a single parent nor an absent dad mm-hmm. and just to and to for us that. in our extended family unit um I mean, we go on holiday. My partner and I and our toddler, we're going, for example, on holiday with with all the kids, yeah. like including my ex stepdaughter in in August. We've I've just booked that, so it's like, awesome. yeah. So I want to want to kind of celebrate yeah. the richness yeah. of of the of the the fruits of all this uh, of, sure. of all this um, this handmade lifing mm-hmm. that I've awesome. done. Mm-hmm. No. definitely should, deserves yeah. a celebration for sure mm-hmm. for sure wow cool. man that's incredible like it's so nice to hear um because a lot of i mean it's just so nice to hear someone's story with you know so much kind mm-hmm. of thing like you know, you've done the kids or, you know, you're still doing the kids because you've got your toddler, but you've, and you know, you've kind of, you've just done so much and even how far you are now, like, it's so nice to hear the whole journey, but also that there is still more, like, mm-hmm. there's still more, you know, you're, you're 50 this year and you're not done. And mm-hmm. I think it just really ticks that box of, even when you reach the destination that you think is a destination... Yeah. It's actually not like there's actually yeah. more it's to still go. A journey. It's the whole like uh, going back to kind of what you were saying uh, a moment ago about you know you want you think that that amount of money like you you strive for that amount of money, but then you get it and it doesn't fulfil it, and that's because you've hit that amount of money, so you want the next one, mm-hmm. and it's the same thing you know you've hit this yeah. this destination, but actually you've mm-hmm. got to it and it's like you can't kind of see it because there's just so much more. Um, and it's just so awesome to, and also like with the creativity, it just really relates, especially to Ben with all the creativity and stuff. And it's just, yeah, like, so cool. it's, <laughs> it's inspiring. And yeah, no, I'm, I'm really glad that Liv yeah. threw you on and <laughs> threw you into this space and gave us this opportunity as well as to you for, just hearing it all. Well, thanks. I've, I've really enjoyed your questions and your listening, you know, and that's that's a really intriguing thing, isn't it? Making space for other people yes. to mm-hmm. tell their story and to share. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That's a very potent thing. So so I feel really appreciative of you both to offer this space and, and um, to bring the quality of your listening and your questions and your mm-hmm. feeling inspired by yeah. our conversation yes. um, today. Yeah. Thank you. Anytime, but also, Anytime. of course, thank you to you as well. Yeah. Just finishing off with um, a couple of questions, but my mind has gone blank. So I've got one. <laughs> and for some reason, the other one that we always ask has just gone out of my mind. Well, I could think of them, so... Go on then, you throw well, no, it first. You, they do the one you're thinking Okay, of. so the one I uh, is just in my mind is your mantra. Yeah. What is your mantra? If if any, maybe you changes every day. What is your mantra for the day, the for the week, the year? What yeah, do you yeah. Go well, uh, one mantra I've been working with for a while, because I can't remember the one that, that Anna gave me a while ago. Um... One mantra I work with is, I am healthy, wealthy, loving, and loved. Mm. Nice. Yeah, and sometimes true. I try and find slightly different 
poetic versions of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's good. I, I'm intrigued by the power of mantra and affirmation, mm-hmm. but I'm also intrigued by what it sets up. Mm-hmm. Like that, that if I'm affirming something, yeah, that I want to be careful. Mm-hmm. with that I want to play with it I want to yeah I want to do it over and over again and at the same time take it lightly mm-hmm. because otherwise it can set up a kind of friction mm-hmm. and because I don't really know what's going on mm-hmm. it's yeah. important to mm-hmm. uh yeah to take it to take it lightly but I if I'm making a decision I try and make the decisions based on that even if I'm not <laughs> feeling any of those four <laughs> things mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I guess it's also like you can look at even the word wealthy. You can look at that in numerous so many ways. different yes. ways. Mm-hmm. Like to some, it may just instantly think of money, but yeah. actually it could be something completely different. Yeah, rich in experience. So those words life. can just play around in yeah. so many ways as in how it, you connect with them. And words, words do seem to have a lot of power, don't they? Mm-hmm. Mm. Definitely. Yeah. Yes, they do. Definitely do. Awesome. But any other questions, Ben? Well, it's the grand experience question. Grand experience. Is is there... Is it. there a grand experience you're yet to have that you would like to have? And what we mean by grand experience is, I guess, we used to ask the question, um, what is um, a bucket list item of yours? But bucket list, most people gravitate to like a travel destination. Whereas yeah. grand experience equates to sort of something you want to do, something you you're yet to sort of like an idea I mean like for like a performer might say they want to play Wembley or a our friend who used to be in the military he's he's putting on a um charity event for his for his ex uh, ex military um colleagues and things like this so something like this to give you some ideas but is there one but it could also be like even you know the book that you want to finish yeah it could be you have listed quite a lot so (laughs) you could just pull one of them out i think (laughs) (laughs) oh oh my the grand experience (laughs) if you don't have any either then that's totally cool (laughs) it's also cool it might be a good oh well i I, i'm just gonna go for there's something, something a teenage client of mine said earlier on today when we were doing an empty chair exercise and I was, and he's just got an incredible reflective capacity. So he's only 13. And then I had him sit in a chair where he was 23 and then sit in another chair where he was 43 and then another one where he was 73. Mm-hmm. And then he was looking back at his life as a 73 year old. Uh, and there was a, 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 a wig involved. <laughs> and, awesome. and he said this just amazing things and and he said things like he's like when I'm old I want to remember all the stuff that I've achieved and and I want to tell my 13 year old self that anything you want to do is possible mm-hmm. and in the kind of take the because the way I do therapy is I, I want my clients to affect me as much as I affect them I don't Mm -hmm. think it works to do it just Mm -hmm. one way you know life is a reciprocal street and and so I need to be affected by them so he's still affecting me in a sense in my thinking and 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 so I think to myself a grand you know a bucket on my bucket list or 
um, the the destination, a sense is is to is to be an old man with lots of white hair and to spend the last like year or so of my life with lots of quality time with people I love, with my children who won't be children at all anymore (laughs) by then. And like, that would be an amazing experience. And for, yeah, for there to be an honesty about that, Mm -hmm. you know, that there isn't a sense of like, Oh, Oh, I wish you weren't, weren't going because actually we're all going, Mm -hmm. you know, there to where we've had our lives, you know, that's, that's a necessity. It's, it's a given. Mm-hmm. And I, and I would like there to be a sense in our family, given all the, the different traumas in the background of our kind of family system, that we're able to be with each other mm-hmm. and that they're able to be with one another mm-hmm. when I'm an old guy yeah and I'm and I'm letting go you know and I'm just remembering I'm just being with all of the all of the the wonderful and terrible and all the in-between and the boring things that have happened in life and I'm yeah that's awesome. that's, that's incredibly that's deep it, but really, really yeah. cool really really cool yeah. awesome nice I like it Ah, oh, thank you so much honestly thank you so so well, so Laura much Laura and Benedict that's a pleasure yes yeah, cool You have been listening to the Less Trodden Path podcast with Laura and Benedict. Make sure you subscribe to us on whichever platform it is you're using. If you would like to feature on the Less Trodden Path podcast, then head over to our website, thelesstroddenpath.com. Thank you for listening. The Less Trodden Path podcast is sponsored by imakesounds.com, music for content creators. If you're looking for royalty-free music to feature on your own podcast, blogs, YouTube videos and more, then head over to imakesounds.com.